All right. Well, last week we were in revival, and so tonight we're going to be basically covering two units and uh, actually reviewing uh, another unit. So we're going to jump right into it and, and try to cover that pretty quickly. Uh, I need to ask for a volunteer, though. I need to the volunteer. You're, I'm going to just interview you. Just three quick questions. There's a when question, a where question, and a what question. Very easy. Anybody could do it. Uh, who who would volunteer for me? And and I can call names, but that's you know. Uh, who's going to volunteer for me? Lisa, how about you? <laughs> no, all right, all right. Terry, how about you? Yeah, come on. You gotta come up here. Thank you, Terry. Now, the first question I'm going to ask very carefully. Uh, come, come right here beside me. First question I'm going to ask very carefully. I'm not asking for the year. I'm asking when were you born? When were you born? The month and the day. When were you born? May 24. Now, 1938. I didn't even ask, and she gave it anyway. There you go. Very good. So, May 24. How do you know that? Okay. All right. Good, 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 good. Where were you born? What city? What state? In Greenville. In Greenville. Say that again. My grandmother. Brandon Mill. You were born in a... In, the house is still... You born in the house. You didn't go to the hospital. No, they didn't back then. Okay. But so you're born in Greenville. How do you know that? Okay. All right. Uh, so my third question doesn't work because the third question was, what hospital were you born in? <laughs> and so that doesn't work. How about that? Times have changed a little bit, haven't they? All right. Terry, thank you very much. Let's thank her for her participation. Now, there's a reason that, that I ask those questions. Some things in life we know by experience. For example, if I were to ask you when and where you were married or uh, where, uh, those kind of things, you could answer that question. Uh, you would know it, not because somebody told you. You'd know it because you were there. You experienced it. Brad, when and where were you married? <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> and I bet you were there. I bet you were there. You experienced it. But there are some things in life that you only know because it was revealed to you. Webster's defines revealing this way. It says to make something known. Something that's hidden, something that's secret, and to make it known. In other words, unless it's revealed, it will always be a secret to you. Unless it's revealed, it will always be hidden to you. For example, I have up here... This white box. Now, what's in this box? Truth is, you don't know. And you can guess what's in the box, and there is, there is something in it. You can guess what's in the box based on the shape of the box, size of the box, that kind of thing. But truth of the matter is, you don't know what's in this box, and you would never know what's in the box unless, unless it's revealed to you. 
and, and I'm just going to make you wonder what's in the box. But there is something in it. Now, here's another white box. Now, the difference between this box and this white box is this white box reveals its contents. In this white box, there's 100 clear laminating film pouches. They're the credit card size, 2 and 1 eighth by 3 and 3 eighths. And so we know exactly what's here, not because we've experienced it. We know exactly what's in the box because it's been revealed to us. And had it not been revealed to us, then we would be going, we would be wondering, well, there's something in this, but I don't know. And if this wasn't revealed, we'd be doing the same thing. But here's the deal. In your life right now, which is it most like as far as your walk with God? Do you feel like this box or do you feel more like this box? I bet a lot of you say, I feel like this box. You know, I, there's, there's things that I'm trying to decide. There's things I'm trying to discern. And, and, and I just don't know what God's will is. I wish it was more like this where God showed me clearly what, what his plan is. But it's not just about God's will. You, we really need to go a step before that. And do you realize that we wouldn't even know God or anything about God unless he told us? It's only because he reveals who he is that we know who he is. That's a profound statement. I want to make sure you hear that again. It's only because he reveals who he is that we know who he is. Had he not revealed himself to us, we would not know him. We would not know about his nature. We would not know about his character. And I think it was in Unit 5 where, he, where Henry Blackaby talks a lot about this idea that God reveals himself, that, that he reveals who he is, and he reveals his ways, and he reveals uh, his name, and, and those kind of things. Let, let me just give you a Three examples, then we're going to move on to unit six and seven. Go to Genesis chapter 17, verse one. Genesis chapter 17, verse one. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to let you talk to a neighbor for just a 15, 20, 30 seconds and try to answer this question. In these three scriptures that we're going to be looking at, we, we just read the first one, but in these three scriptures, I'm going to ask you, did God reveal his name, his nature, or his character? All right, so... Read chapter 17, verse 1. Did God reveal his name, his nature, or his character? This first one's kind of easy, but, but go ahead. Do you need to talk to a neighbor? Feel free to make sure you, you talk to them to get it right. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Abram. All right, so, and I understand on some of these, we could debate it if we really, really, really wanted to debate it, but I've got the answers here, so we'll go by my answers, okay? All right, so, in this particular verse, did God reveal his name, his nature, or his character? Yes, all of them, right? His name, the correct answer is his name. He says to Abram, I am who? 
I am God Almighty. Everybody look at my white box. Abram would not have known that had God not revealed it to him. But a bigger question is this one. Why did he say that to Abram? Why did he reveal to Abram? Listen, I want to open the box and I want to show you something about myself. I am God Almighty. Why did he open the box and say to Abram, let me show you something about who I am. I am this is my name. I am God Almighty. Why did he reveal that to, to Abram? He wanted him to know him. That's true. That's true. Is there anything beyond that? Huh? Absolutely, he wanted him to do something. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, what did he want to do in and through Abram? Yeah, I'm going through you, I'm going to make a nation. Now, at 100 years old, how many ch children did he have? Zero. None. So you know why he came to God, or came to Abram, and kind of opened the box and said, come, come here, come here, come here. I want to show you something about myself. I am God Almighty. I want to reveal that to you. You know why that's so important? It's because of what I'm about to do through your life. And I need you to believe that I, that's who I am. Because only God, the Lord Almighty, could do what I'm about to do in your body and through your life and through your family. Abram, do you believe I am God Almighty? Now see, this is naturally going to lead into our next discussion in a moment, that crisis of belief. Do you believe that I am who I say I am? All right, so that's the first one. Now we're kind of getting the hang of it. Let's, let's go to the next one. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, a little, little bit harder one. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. And as we read this, again, is God revealing his name, his nature, or his character? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, was he revealing here, talk to a neighbor, was he revealing here his name, his nature, or his character? Talk to a neighbor, 15 seconds. All right, class, was he talking about, was he revealing when he opened the box to, to, uh, to Moses and he said, I am holy. Was he revealing his name, his nature, or his character? I knew we'd have some debate here. The correct answer, at least my answer, is revealing his nature. Saying, this is who I am. All right, hang on till we get to the third one. All right, hang on till we get to the third one, which I've already given you the answer, I guess, now, for the third one. All right, his, his, he was revealing his nature. His nature is this, I'm holy. I want you to know, this is who I am. I am holy. And again, why would that be important? Why would Moses need to know that I want you to be holy because I am holy? Why is that important? It was, here's the answer. I'll go ahead and give you the answer to this one. The answer is God was creating a people through Moses. 
I'm going to ask you to lead the exodus, lead the people out and, and bring them to Mount, uh, Mount uh, Sinai. And there I'm going to create a, a special people. The promise I made to Abraham, I'm going to continue to work through you. And I'm going to create this special nation, a special people. And because they were my people, they must be holy. Because let me open the box, I am holy. Here's, here's my point. When God is getting ready to do something, many times he reveals who he is. So that we'll, we will believe and respond. Let's go to the third one. All right. The third one is the last book in the Old Testament. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. Here, in verse 6, first part of verse 6, he reveals his character to his people. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Now, the question was, what's the difference between his character and his, and his nature? And the answer is, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think I know. I think I know. I think the difference between his nature and his character is this. His nature is who he is. His character is who, what he does because of who he is. It's more what he does. That's his character. I do not change. That's my character. I'm the God. I do not change. So my nature is this is who I am. I'm holy. My character is I, I do not change. Now, this is really kind of introductory to, to the next two units, but let me make two more comments before we leave this, this, sesh, or this section. Uh, why is it that God reveals himself? If, if you don't have this somewhere, you might want to write it down. He reveals himself in order to involve someone in his work. That's the first reason. God reveals himself to involve someone in his work. And God reveals himself to help a person respond in faith. To involve someone in his work and to help someone respond in faith. Abraham, again, is the perfect example where he said, I am the God Almighty, and I know that you're hitting close to 100, and I know that I promised you a long time ago that I was going to build a nation through you. I just need to reveal to you who I am. I am God Almighty. And he, he, res he wanted him to respond and so he, he revealed who he was so that he would respond, hopefully, in faith. Now, that really is kind of an introduction, but uh, I want you to take your books now and go to chapter or session six in your book. What page is that on in your book? I, I, all right, all right, go there then. In chapter six, starting maybe page 113, it really talks... Excuse me, it talks about how God speaks. How God speaks to us. And then chapter 7 talks about the, the crisis of belief. 
here's what I, w- I want to do. Um, if you'll go to page, let me find it real quick. Go to page uh, 116. Page 116. Henry Blackaby talks in this section about, yes, God speaks, but, um, is it, yeah, this is part two. In part one, he talks about how God speaks, but in part two, he's talking about sometimes when God speaks, it seems like he really doesn't. Sometimes when God speaks, it seems like God is silent. That's an important, important section that he talks about when God is silent. So on page 116, I want you to tell me the answer here. What are two possible reasons for God's silence when you pray? What, what did you find out there? Right in the middle of page 116, what are two possible reasons for God's silence when you pray? Yeah. To teach me. Help me with that one. What does that mean, to teach me? Henry had a great illustration and so forth, but just tell me what you're thinking there, Donna, or what you learned there, to teach me. All right? Or anybody. Uh-huh. Yeah, my question would be, like, what is God trying to teach you? Why is he silent? Why is he trying to teach you? Say that louder. Yeah. Okay, now now there's a reason I, Tom, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, yeah. Here's here's the reason for asking that question the way I did, not to put Donna on the spot, but, but, Really, we can't define to say, okay, now, if God's silent, this is what he's trying to teach you. You can't define that. You, you know, we can't make this list. I bet, it, you know, if God's silent, it's one of these five things he's trying to teach you. No. My point is simply this. If God is silent, in that time, you need to be aware of the fact he indeed may be trying to teach me something here. What, what is it? We don't know yet, but we need to make sure that we're trying to be responsive and receptive to something that God might be trying to teach me. Uh, look at the, uh, right above where it says 8 there in the middle of page 116. Here's what Henry Blackaby said. Uh, I'm, let's see. When Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead four days. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then the Spirit of God began to help me understand something. It seemed to me as if Jesus said to Mary and Martha, you're exactly right. If I had come when you asked, your brother would not have died. You know I could have healed him because you've seen me heal people many times before. If I'd come when you'd asked me to, I would have healed him. But you would never have known any more about me than you already understood. I knew you were ready for a greater revelation of me than you had known before. And look what he says. I wanted to experience that I am the resurrection and the life. My refusal and my silence was not rejection. They were opportunities for me to disclose to you more of me than you had ever known before. You ought to underline that. If you haven't got it underlined in your book, they were opportunities for me 
to disclose to you more of me than you had ever known before. Here's my point. In those times of silence, when it seems like God's not saying anything, it is in those times when he may be ready to teach you something that you have never known before. And then look at the next paragraph. When that truth dawned on me, I almost jumped out of my chair. I said, that's what's happening in my life. God's silence means he's ready to bring into my life a greater revelation of himself than I have ever known. I immediately changed my whole attitude toward God. With great anticipation, I began to watch for what God was going to teach me about himself. Then some things happened that I might never have responded to without the readiness and anticipation. One one other thing to underline. With great anticipation, I began to watch for what God was going to teach me about himself. So in that silent time, it's, it's a good time to be asking, what is it God wants to teach me about himself? Now, go to page 120 in your book. Page 120. You see the block that says, when circumstances are confusing? Do you ever have confusing circumstances in your walk with God? Is everything always clear? I doubt it. If, if it is, I need to talk to you because I don't know how you're doing it, okay? Uh, but sometimes it is very confusing trying to, to walk with the Lord and hear the Lord. And, and God speaks through circumstances. That's what that lesson is about on day two. Uh, he speaks through circumstances, but sometimes even that is unclear. And so I thought there were some very good statements here. And I want you to tell me which one of these has helped you the most uh, just recently or over time. Look what he says. Number one, settle in your mind that God has forever demonstrated his unfailing love for you on the cross. That love will never change. Number two, do not try to understand what God is like from the middle of your circumstances. Number three, go to God and ask him to help you see his perspective on your situation. Number four, wait on the Holy Spirit. He may take God's word and help you understand your circumstances. Number five, adjust your life to God and to what you see him doing in your circumstances. Number six, do all he tells you to do. Number seven, experience God working in and through to accomplish his purposes. Which of those seven, as you've studied it at least, maybe you've experienced it, but at least as you've studied it, which ones seem to kind of jump out at you the most, be more, more applicable to your life or say, boy, that, that one hit me. Anybody? Which of those seven? Number three, why number three? Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's good, Tom. Somebody else. Number two. Why number two? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we have time, we're going to look at a, a, a situation in the Bible, but but that's a perfect uh, example. You're not rational sometimes in the middle of whatever it is you're going through. Somebody else, was there another one? Uh Uh-huh. Adjusting to what God's doing. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to decide if, if, if we have time for this. Um, 
Let's look at this briefly. Go to Exodus chapter 5. I think this is such a key, key uh, lesson. I want to make sure we get this. Exodus chapter 5. In Exodus chapter 5, here's what you need to understand. Moses did what God instructed him to do. Moses uh, asked Pharaoh to let Israel go. He did exact. He heard from God. He responded to God. He believed God. He did exactly what God told him to do. And let's see how it turns out. Chapter five, verse one. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Let my people go, so that they may." hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Boy, I tell you what, that will preach right there. That just Verse 3, Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. So that's Moses' request. Now, here's Pharaoh's response. See, see how you'd feel about this if you were Moses. But the king of Egypt, that is Pharaoh, said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make them work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So in verses 13 through 19, the hardship on the people increased. Now they have to make the same number of bricks, but they don't get any straw uh, to, to make them with. And then verse 21, look what happened. Or verse 20 and 21. Um, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, here's what I want you to think about. What would you have done if you had been in Moses' place at that moment? How would you have viewed your activity? Moses, uh, the, <laughs> one of the reasons I like this story is because of how Moses responded. I'm not going to tell you yet how he responded, but how would you have responded in that situation? Who said that? Would have quit. That would have been an obvious choice, right? Quit. Somebody else. How about this one? Would anybody said, I must have misunderstood. Blame God. There's a third one. I quit, or I just misunderstood what God wanted, or I can blame God. You told me to do this. It's your fault. They're, they're yelling at me, but it's your fault. All right, let, let's see what happens. Uh, this, this is in chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? 
Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble upon his, this people. Watch this. And you have not rescued your people at all. Translation. You're not doing anything you said you're going to do. I'm putting my neck on the line. I went and did my part. Why don't you show up sometime and do your part? Oh, that's, a, that's a loose translation of the Hebrew, okay? Moses is discouraged. Moses is angry. Moses is ready to quit. But God's patient. And God took time to explain to Moses, watch this, his perspective. Not Moses' perspective. His perspective. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive, uh, he will drive them out of this country. Two times you see in verse 1, because of my mighty hand. It's repeated two times in verse 1. The Lord's perspective was so different than, than Moses' perspective. We need to learn from Moses' example that when things are confusing, our perspective may or may not be accurate. God's perspective is always accurate, and God's perspective is, is always bigger. So when you said, Tracy, get frustrated in the middle of, or what was the word you used? What frustrated? It was, you're not rational. You're not rational. Ex a perfect example. In the middle of a situation where times are confusing, sometimes you're not rational. So you need to say, God, show me your perspective. Speak to me. Help me to understand your perspective. Now, watch my box. You're never going to know God's perspective unless he reveals it. Right? So that's why you go to him. That's why you spend time in prayer. That's why you're in the word. You're asking God, would you just open the, the box for me? Would you just give me your perspective on this situation? Because this situation is very confusing to me. Or this situation is very scary. Or this situation is very troubling. And, and God... I, from my perspective right now, I'm not rational. From my perspective, I'm pretty angry. From my perspective, I'm devastated. From my perspective, I'm discouraged. And, and the on and on the list could go. God, I need, watch this, I need your perspective. I need you to open the box. I need you to give me your perspective on the situation. So that's kind of a summary of chapter, or unit six. Now, I want to quickly, in the last few minutes, go to Unit 7. Uh, that's probably my, one of my favorite units in the whole study. Unit 7 talks about the crisis of belief. 133, page 133, the crisis of belief. Um, Somebody summarize for me, just in your own words, would you summarize that entire unit? What is the crisis of belief? It's, it's, like I said, it's probably my favorite unit, but, but tell me in your words, what, what is the crisis of belief? I, I didn't hear the very last part. He asked you to do something you don't think you can do and what? Yeah, yeah. God's asking me to do something. I have a hard time believing that I can. Okay? Somebody else, how would you describe the crisis of belief? 
Say that again. A time of decision. What am I deciding? Yeah. Yeah. It is a time of decision. God's calling me to do something. It's a time of decision. Am I going to trust God that he can do this? Somebody, there's one other aspect. Both of these are correct. But there's a third aspect here we need to add to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you see God. Take that a little bit further. Basically, let me, let me, take, let me say it to you this way. God's asked me to do something. Trying to decide if, if I can. It's a time of decision where I'm trying to decide. And it really boils down to this. Do I believe that God really is God? Do I believe God can do what he says he's going to do? The, the crisis of belief is, is about you and what you can do. But it's a, it's a time to decide, can God do this? Will God do this? Is God trustworthy? It, the crisis of belief is, is partly about, is God who he says he is? I've just started reading John Avant's book. Um, I think the title is something like, If God Were Real. Just started reading it. I mean, I just barely got into it. But that's the same idea. If God were real. What, the, the idea behind the book is, what would it be like if we Christians lived like God really was real? Of course, that we, that we, we all should, but, but he gives all kinds of examples of, of uh, how we sometimes cop out and our faith fails. And What if we live like God really was real, like God really is God? The crisis of belief is where I have to decide, is God really God? And if he's really God, then I can do what he's asking me to do. But I have to decide that. There's this crisis of belief where I have to make a decision regarding this thing he's asking me to do. Um, can somebody in, in just less than a minute give me an example of a crisis of belief maybe in your life? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I stress this one thing to, to, to everyone? When you come to a crisis of belief, those are not easy times. That's why it's called a crisis of belief. It's not a decision to believe. It's a crisis of belief. Am I going to believe that God is God? And that the circumstances around me haven't changed the fact God is God. I'm going to trust Him. And I'm going to obey Him. And I have to decide that. I have to choose that. That doesn't come automatically. Sometimes you have to choose that. Because it doesn't come automatically. Your flesh will fight against it. Your flesh will push back. 
And so you have to choose, you have to decide, God really is God and I'm going to trust him. Abraham, I, I know we keep talking about Abraham tonight, but Abraham, 99, 100 years old, that crisis of belief, you're going to be a daddy. Talk about a crisis of belief. But is God really who he says he is? I am the God, the Lord Almighty. And you either come to that point where you decide that he is, or you come to the point where you decide, no, he's not. And watch this. The way that, that shows what you believe, what you do, your actions. Um, well, that's, that's, that's good discussion. Let, let me close by asking you to go to, uh, let me find it here in the notes. Page 146. Page 146 through 149. What, what you do reveals what you believe. Just exactly what I was just saying. But what you do reveals uh, what you believe. But here's what I want you to see on page 147 over on the right-hand side. You see this little uh, statement there. Unbelief was extremely costly. Highlight it, put a box around it, put a star beside it, circle it, whatever you need to do to draw attention to that. Unbelief was extremely costly, and it always is. Unbelief is extremely costly because what we're saying is this. God, I don't trust you. And when you live in that state where you're saying, I don't trust what you say, then that unbelief, eventually that's going to cost you because of your disobedience. Last thing I want to call to your attention, and then we're going to close. Uh, on page 150. Page 150. Um, at the top of the page there, it says, review today's lesson. And then, what's the most meaningful statement? Reward the statement. What does God want you to do in response to today's study? Uh, I, I hope that you've, you've done these lessons. And so, when you come to this section, I, I hope you've got something written down there on the top of page 150 because I want us to pray over that right now. I want us to end by looking at these times in our lives that require faith, that require a faith that leads to action. And uh, so if you wrote something there about this crisis of belief and the actions, then you got something to pray over tonight. Would you join me as we pray? Father, Lord, it's one thing to be in a Bible study and to talk about these things, and it's quite different when we face a crisis of belief. But I pray that for anyone here tonight, Lord, and they're really struggling with something or they're in the middle of something and their, their perspective is not rational because they're in the middle of it and they, they don't have the value or the benefit of looking back with hindsight. They are in the middle of it right now. And they're wondering and they're questioning and they're doubting and they're, they're just fighting something. God, I, I pray the enemy won't win. I pray that in this crisis of belief, 
that they'll decide that you really are God and you really are good and you really can be trusted. And Lord, as they cry out to you, I pray that you will open the box and reveal something about yourself. Teach them something that they, perhaps they would not know any other way. And may they draw closer to you as they experience you in a fresh, new, and dynamic way. And Father, for some, they've got on that top of that page, they've got some things that they've learned, some things that they've, they've, they're praying over, an action perhaps they need to take. Give us the faith to honor you and to follow you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.